Hello, I'm Becca, the owner of Meet Cute Romance Bookshop in San Diego, California, and this is the Meet Cute Book Pod. Today we have the audio from our May 20th in-store event with Diana Biller, the author of The Widow of Rose House, The Brightest Star in Paris, and most recently, Hotel of Secrets. Hotel of Secrets is a historical romance set in glittering, dangerous 1878 Vienna. There is intrigue and banter and significant contemplation about the logistics of hooking up in a linen closet. It's really got everything you could possibly want. Much like the book, Diana is brilliant and funny, and I think you'll really enjoy listening to our conversation. We talked about the time a professor called her essay on jury selection elegant, taking herself seriously as an artist, the underrated hotness of ethical men, Diana's approach to research and writing, and writing historical romances in uncommon settings, and the limitations of seeing history exclusively through the lens of Georgette Heyer's interpretation of Regency England. Then Diana takes some really excellent audience questions and ends, of course, with some books she's loved recently. Before we transition to that conversation, a little about Diana. Diana Biller lives in Los Angeles with her husband and their cat and dog. She loves rainy mornings and sunny afternoons and curling up with a good book in any weather. Before becoming a full-time writer, she went to law school and spent her clerkships writing romance novels in the law library. And now, through the magic of podcasting, here's our conversation, live to tape. I don't know what that means, but the point is, please forgive any background noise because this was a live event. What is your background as a writer? Were you writing a lot as a kid? Did you come to it later? Yeah, you know, I I struggled writing as a kid. Like, I, it was always something that I wanted to do. Um, but... Never was able to finish anything, never wrote more than six pages of something, you know. I wasn't, um, you know, I went to school with kids who were the writers, right? And I was never one of them. I was always sickeningly jealous of them. Um, But I was, like, I had a very chaotic childhood, um, and, like, I just was not in a place where writing takes a lot of attention. I didn't have it. Um, So it wasn't until I was in law school. Um, A time when famously everyone has, like, a lot of free time. (laughs) (laughs) Do you know what everyone does need desperately is an escape? Yeah. Um, I just, like, I had to do something. And I was actually getting a lot of really nice feedback suddenly for being a good writer. I wasn't necessarily the most brilliant legal mind um, in the law school, but I was a very good writer. And I still remember um, a professor giving me the kindest compliment. She said that my paper on jury selection was elegant. And I thought... Oh my God. <laughs> like, that's like the nicest, probably still one of the nicest reviews I've ever gotten. <laughs> I mean, if you can make jury selection elegant. Elegant? Yeah. Thank you, ma'am. No, that is impressive. Yeah. Um, so, like, I think, you know, when I, I met my writing partner, as I was mentioning to you at a clerkship, um, she was actually like, she was the good clerk, and I was like, kind of the lazy clerk. Um, <laughs> um, and um, so, like, we just decided. After that clerkship, we're like, oh, we both want to write. We're both, like, not writing. We both feel shitty about it. It's like, why don't we do NaNoWriMo? Um, And then we did it. And I think having a friend to do it with, you know, like, made, I I swear that made all the difference. Suddenly, I'd written a book. Um, Like, it wasn't a good book. (laughs) I mean, it will never see the light of day. (laughs) But um, (laughs) it was a fantasy novel. There wasn't even romance in it. and um, but like just like suddenly having that power of oh my god, I can do it, that really unlocked like a lot of things for me. Yeah, 
How many years ago is that now? Hmm? How many years ago? Ten years. She and I just celebrated our 10th anniversary from that NaNoWriMo and we did not do anything. We talked a big game and then like we did not. We didn't do anything. Well, the 11th anniversary is (laughs) Is also very important. Actually the most special. (laughs) I want to read a few sentences from the acknowledgments from Hotel of Secrets. So you wrote this. Um, it's easy to fall into the habit of dismissing one's art, of minimizing it or rendering it frivolous. I've been guilty of this my whole life. It's only in the last two years over the course of writing this book that I've begun to challenge the belief that I need to. What if our art is not small? What if it is not silly? What if we took up space? What if we took ourselves seriously? What could we do then? Um, which I think is really lovely. But also, I'm curious if there is something about I guess it one direction or the other, either about writing this book that led you to start challenging that belief or how the sort of like experience of that affected the writing of the book. So I think you might be able to tell that I'm pretty angry um, in that statement. I'm really mad um, because I think that uh, it's not just women. It's um, a lot of women, but it's marginalized people broadly. It's all sorts of people are just in the habit of thinking, oh, I don't do anything important. You know, this woman who knocks out an incredible piece of embroidery on the weekend. So that's just a silly little hobby to pass their time. You know, it's no big deal. Um, and I'm starting to get, no, not starting. I am. I'm really furious about this. We deserve way better. And I think that this is coming from being about a decade in the romance industry too. Like I, you know, I really came into it when, um, you know, Spartvich's Trashy Books was really just like hitting the mainstream. We were just starting to talk about no romance is good, actually. And I realized last year how much justification we were doing as romance readers and writers. Oh no, romance is good, actually. Romance is good, actually. Romance is good, actually. Who gives a fuck? Like, if we're talking to other people, we know it's good, but we're not going to be able to continue making, like, amazing art if we're spending all of our time. No one in sci-fi, well, they shouldn't be, is going around saying, no, no, no. Can you let us have a place at the table? Like, we tried for 10 years to let people give us a place at the table, and they did. Many of them did. Like, that worked, and I'm not saying there wasn't a reason for that. Um, this isn't, a like, a reflection of anybody else's, like, decisions. This is just, I feel so done because we're at a place in the romance genre where we actually have been producing incredible art. And you can call it a guilty pleasure. I don't care about that. That's fine. But I also say it's art. And it's hard. And it's not something that we're going to need to giggle about forever. Not that we can't giggle about it. But it doesn't, it's not just that. Um, And I think about that, that's not just romance writing. That's so many things that we do. Um, And I think that it's, I don't know, for me, I'm in a stage in my life where I'm feeling really just like militant about it. Um, And I want other people to be militant about like their space, like the space that you take to make art. I want you to be militant about that. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> I'm gonna like put this up on my yeah. <laughs> <mirror>. <laughs> um, have you read um Lady's Guide to Celestial Mechanics? No, you but should. I desperately want to. It um, makes a very similar point to that. I think you'll enjoy it. Yeah. Of course she made it first because she's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> um it's great. That was my favorite part of it. One of them is a scientist and the other one does embroidery. And the one who does embroidery is like, oh, this is my like silly thing that's like not important. And then she's like, you know what? 
It fucking is important. It fucking is important. It's art. And it is. Yeah. Also, Olivia Waite knows a lot about embroidery. Yeah, like, she's actually maybe, like, a stealth genius. I'm not sure. No, it's like, not stealth. she plays it really chill, but, like... <laughs> yeah. Suspicious. It's so a recommendation for everybody. You need another historical in your life um, once you finish all of the Diana Billers, obviously. <laughs> so, for Hotel of Secrets, I was talking about this book with a friend, and she described it as a book that... um upends like what it means to be conventional and so we have a sort of a matrilineal family we have a pistol wielding grandmother who is like who among us (laughs) (laughs) um who's in like a long-term relationship with a woman and everyone's just like that's a thing um who's also jewish like as a side character um we have a female main character who runs a hotel she's more sexually experienced than her male partner um, she spends a lot of time considering, like, how best to help her, like, hotel guests have trysts in a living closet. <laughs> and everyone's just kind of like, yes, this is, like, this is the world we live in. This is, like, how it is, which is really fun. But I'm curious whether you came into writing it with an intention of upending that and making making these things that are somewhat uncommon, particularly in historical romance, more n- normal within the world of the mm-hmm. book. I love this question. Um, Do any of you guys remember the show Crazy Ex-Girlfriend? Yeah. Yeah. So that creator um, said something once that really stuck with me. Someone asked her, like, wow, your show is so diverse. Like, how did you try to make this show? Like, what did you do to make it so diverse? And she said, well, I didn't. I grew up in the area and I just tried to reflect my world and that's what it looked like. Um, And that really, like, stuck with me because especially as a historical author, like historical romance authors are recreating worlds. And so, of course, we're choosing what to create, right? Like Georgette Heyer recreated a really white, really upper class, really strict version of Regency England that probably has more in common with the 1950s that she was living in than the time she was writing about. Um, So in my opinion... I wrote the world that I believe, based on research, to be accurate. Um, You know, I know that there's been some feedback that my heroine is too sexually experienced for the time. I think that that is very silly. Um, First of all, it's not England. I didn't write the book in England. I didn't want to write the book in England. Not all European countries are dictated by English morality. Also, she's not a member of the upper class, um, so rules are different and always have been to certain one of my um I heard recently the most amazing fact. Um unwed pregnancies today are at the same level that they were in the Victorian era. So this idea that we have of, oh my god, especially of a straight past, this idea we have of a straight past, wild. I'm sure this is something that probably everyone here like really knows about. But, you know, even the idea that, oh, everyone was closeted in the past. No? Like, no? (laughs) That's just not like that's just not true. (laughs) Like people were out, people were having relationships, people were famously gay. Like that's changed with culture. It just seems like the idea is always in the past times were whiter and straighter. Yeah, so um, I just wanted I wanted to reflect how I really felt Vienna in, at the end of the 19th century would have looked. And yeah, that includes like lesbian grandmothers. Maybe it doesn't include like miraculous French spies. There were definitely French spies 
but maybe Claude. <laughs> if I had to say which part was the biggest stretch, it would be Claude. Because <laughs> it's possible he might be like a deity or a fairy or something. Like, I don't know. <laughs> This book is set in Vienna in 1878. You also have a book set in Paris, also in 1878, I think. Yeah, I think I really like that. And I think the, the, the one of the next historicals I'm thinking of, the next one in the Moore trilogy, is also 1878. So I don't know. That just that that year is very big for me. <laughs> it's a big year. It's a big year. 1878, famously. <laughs> famously. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I'm curious... Um, first of all, it was delightful reading a book where people just kept repeatedly referring to the United States as like a backwater that no one would care about. <laughs> and to have a character be like, I'm here doing an important investigation. They're like, nobody cares about your country's secrets. But that's like, so cute, baby. <laughs> yeah, like, that's really sweet. We don't actually, nobody would do that because we don't care. Um, but I'm, I'm curious how you ended up picking 1878 Vienna. You know, it was kind of a balancing act, actually, of... Um, I won't write books. Um, there's a certain point in history where I'm not, I don't feel qualified to write books. Anytime before slave, like before slavery was largely abolished, I'm not, I don't feel okay um, writing a, a book in that time period. The end of the century in Vienna was very dark um, for a lot of reasons, not just rising anti-Semitism, nationalism, yanking the continent apart, our ramp up to World War One, but also like weird stuff. Like Vienna went through a very dark, like neurotic time where people were just jumping off of buildings, um, which could be a funny romance novel. But <laughs> but we, we turned the clock back a little. I think they did originally pitch it as, "What if I wrote about uh, Crown Prince Rudolph's murder suicide?" Uh, as a romance novel, and my editor was like, "Oh, <laughs> so what I if saw, not that? What if, what if, what if there wasn't a murder suicide in the book? Can you even write a romance without a murder suicide? I don't. I, mean, how I, don't even... I did feel a little like, you know, <laughs> caged, <laughs> censored. <laughs> um, so, like, really, this was like the sweet spot where I could talk about some dark issues that I really wanted to talk about." But I also didn't feel like having outrageous balls was out of the norm. You know, like that was still something that was happening. And it's still happening today, actually. Different vibes with the balls. Today. Different vibes, right. <laughs> Different vibes. <laughs> um, I feel like the city really came alive. There's just a lot of really vivid descriptions. I like really wanted to be in Vienna at three o'clock in the morning in 1878. Like never have I wanted to be anywhere more. It's going to be really hard to get there for a number of reasons, including time travel. But I'm interested in like the research you did because you obviously also didn't go to Vienna in 1878, I assume. How are you? There were these really specific details. They're very unhinged. And I want to know if you just made them up. Like there was a man covered in parrot, parrot man, like no, reading the that's news. that's from... That's, like you found that in a newspaper. I'm not going to make that up. Like, come on. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually really just like I if you, if I'm deviating from history, it's like a ghost. Mm -hmm. Like I'm, I'm if you if I if I give you a nice little morsel like a parrot man reading the news, that's going to be real. <laughs> I'm like, that's a gift. <laughs> no, um, I mean, I did a lot of research. So, of course, I always do like probably about six months of like historical research first before writing because knowing the place is really important. And then I did go to Vienna. And, you know, the funny thing is you say, oh, it's you can't go to 1878 Vienna. Listen, I don't know. Like <laughs> you stay in the Innerstadt in Vienna. That's the inner city at night. 
there aren't cars. There are horse-drawn carriages. You hear the clip-clops over the cobblestones. Like, I don't know if it's... It feels like you're there. Um, you know, it's also such like a weird place. The I'm so I'm so glad I was I was very fortunate to be able to go because one thing I wanted to convey in the book is this incredible grandeur of empire. Um, and oh boy, that is what smacked me in the face there. People say, oh, go for the music. Oh, you know, it's so elegant. It is. But like the power that is still in that city is incredible. Um, and you still feel it like walking around Vienna. You're like, oh shit, this was like one of the world's major empires until like two seconds ago. And they're still there. Like, I assume, you know, I heard recently that a lot of the new Habsburg uh, kids have like a group chat where they like text each other about Habsburg things. <laughs> uh, so that's like, I don't know. I assume these are billionaire kids. Um, like there's so much money. There's so much power. It's still all so central. You get this real feeling of what this empire, it, it was an empire for um, since, I, say, 800 years. It's only not been an empire for like 80, 90, um, maybe, let's say 100 years. That's like a drop in the bucket compared to 800. That's no time at all. Yeah. I also have been to Vienna and it's very gold. It's extraordinarily gold. One might even say two gold. Um. No, it can't, it can't be two gold. <laughs> Do you have any like background in historical research or you just like to read about history? No. I mean, I guess legal research. Does legal research count? I say it counts for a lot. <laughs> no, I was a political science major. I don't know. Um, but actually, no, legal research actually did like that did teach me how to do research. So that was good. Um, and political science taught you about Metternich, who I re-looked up and was like, this sounded vaguely familiar. <laughs> Now I remember the flood. I am not a great dude. No, shockingly. <laughs> yeah, so like, I, but I I do think that I had to like um, teach myself a lot of like historical stuff, and I'm still coming to it as such a, you know, like people who have history degrees know a lot more about how the research, you know, like where to go for the research, how the research fits together. So I'm sure it takes me a lot longer to do it. I'm curious, there are more more and more historical romances coming out that are set during like less common time periods that are not like the Regency, um, which I love. But when you're talking to your agent or editors about this, are they giving you pushback about less common time periods or is there a lot of enthusiasm for that? It's, I mean, a nasty industry secret is that it's so dependent on the place. Um, I got away with Vienna, for example, because as long as it was, um, they liked the idea of Central European because we could sell a lot of foreign goods. Mm. So it's really dependent. Whereas I pitched a Hollywood novel two years ago and was told that Hollywood novels do not sell. Um, so it's really dependent on like the place. Obviously, England is still the default or Britain broadly is still the default. But I, yeah, you're right. That is changing. And I'm very excited that it's changing. Yeah. There's a Hollywood novel coming out this summer. Listen, the seven husbands that Evelyn Hugo did fine. <laughs> is that a... You heard it? Yeah, it's like this little book. <laughs> I think it sounds vaguely familiar. I'll Google it later. So this is an adventure book, I think, right? Like there's a lot of yeah. stuff happening. Some yeah. romances are very quiet. And this book has like a lot of plot, yes. <laughs> which is delightful. 
what was the plotting process like or the writing process overall? Um, the writing process was an absolute hoot, which is not like, which is not every book I've ever written. Like, but for whatever reason, Hotel came very easily, um, which was great. The plot, tell me why I decided to include a Balkans plot point <laughs> and then had to... Because you majored in political science. I mean, I was like, you know what? You know what? Romance readers are really going to enjoy getting into the Balkans. <laughs> so um, I, mean, I did enjoy it. And good, because I have done enough Balkans research that there's probably a couple more books in there. <laughs> but I wanted it to be bananas. <laughs> I wanted it to be bananas. Um, and so the plotting process was very much like, what is the most bananas thing? that could happen here. Like, I wanted it to just be absolutely over the top. Um, be like Vienna, you know? Like, I wanted it to just be too on the border of being too crazy. <laughs> so it was fun. Just several attempted murders, and you were like, that's the right number. You know, I did actually, so I had, a, like, a talk with my editor, and she was like, do we need to cut villains? Because I think I have, like, six or seven in the book. And then I was like, oh, I'll have a think about it. And then I was going through, and I was like, but what if the Russians were also coming? <laughs> <laughs> so just for you guys to know, the Russians are there. I, they're, they're not discussed. You can see if you can guess what two characters they are. Uh, <laughs> but the Russians also came. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> Do we get to find out in a subsequent book? No, no it's just there for you to know. No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so speaking of side characters, there are many. Yes. Um, they're all, I think, really well-drawn and, like, clear. They're, you know, like, I, I didn't confuse them, which sometimes happens when you read a book and you're like, oh, God, like, which one is David? I don't know. How do you balance, A, like, having a central romance and so many other people around and also, like, balance all the different voices and the plot elements? I think in this book it was um, – I think in this book it was actually really straightforward because the central theme of this book to me is family. Um, and so if the central theme is family, then she needs to have a family and we need to know them. Um, you know, it has been harder in other books, like – in my first book with the more siblings, there used to be five siblings. There was a pair of twins that I just had to like <laughs> murder <laughs> because I didn't, there wasn't room on the page to give it to them. But fortunately in this book, it was really like fun. And the connection between the three generations of women um, was, you know, so central to the book. So I needed all three women to have time. Who's your favorite character? Well, it might be Josephine, the grandmother. Um, Hard to meet. Yeah. Um, but I also like Claude because, like, everyone should have a Claude in their life who, like, is like, yes, I'm here with, like, a, you know, a revolver and a bottle of champs. He's like Mary Poppins. <laughs> Mary Poppins for very dangerous situations. <laughs> you also have a bunch of sort of recurring plot devices. And I'm sort of curious whether you write forward and then see which ones sort of stick or if you like need a plot device at the end and then you like work it in backwards oh it would just depend i am a big linear writer um but i'm also a very strong editor but i do find that um i don't know if any of you read jenny cruzy's books um but she, she I, I like a lot of her books um and um, she said once something about like um she referred to her writing subconscious as the girls in the basement 
Like she, you know, she gets an idea and then she sends it down to the girls in the basement. And after a few months, they'll send something back up that will make sense and will draw everything together. I so love I, that. I, right. I love it too. And I think about it a lot. Um, and that's kind of how I write my books. I assume that as I'm writing them, everything I'm writing has some reason I'm writing it. Um, and quite often it does. Um, and it ends up stacking in ways that I, you know, find important later. So the chapters all start with these like journal entries, which is like the journals are a plot device and they talk about them in the main text. And then we get like little journal entries at the beginning of each chapter. And I'm curious whether, so we get a lot of like character building and backstory and like familial history in there. And also like a lot of politics that those are always what sent me to Google. I was like, who at Balkans is it? Um, why did a lot of people die in a flood? Like what happened? Which is why it took me so long to read this because um, I kept getting really distracted, which was really fun. I enjoyed that. But did you always imagine it as having that framing device? No. And I'm so glad, though, that it was something I like I came up with because, um, you know, I, wa- I wanted this world to feel so huge. But it's a romance novel that's, you know, I, listen, I wrote it at 120,000 words and I had to cut 15,000 words. So I needed a, like a like a short way to get this expansiveness across. And I'm so happy um, the, with the idea of doing journal excerpts because it was so fun to write. And I loved being able to like talk about Josephine and Emily's like love story. That was really, you know, something, oh, I always want to have these callbacks to it. But like, how do I bring readers in on like the story? So I really love how that turned out. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. It's fun um, to get little glimpses of the older characters when they were younger. All right. What was the hardest part of this book to write? Hmm. It was a really fun book. I could certainly answer that for the other two I've written. You're like, um, that one was easy. I don't know. I mean, it was just fun. It was fun. Even the hard parts, even the like two months that were just Balkans. Um, <laughs> like, even that was fun. It's fun to complain about the Balkans. <laughs> like, it's... Um, so, I... Um, yeah, just that's a good question because it makes me look back and realize how joyous writing the book, the book was. You know, I started writing it really shortly after lockdown. Um, so I think it was, uh, you know, like I wanted something that was just supercharged on joy for myself. Um, so I think I gave myself that experience. <laughs> like it was a lovely escape. I remember sitting in my office and um, going on Google Street View. And like walking through Vienna on street view to, you know, to to just imagine being there. Can you tell us anything about what's next for you? And does it involve there being a sequel to this book? That is not on my plate right now. <laughs> <laughs> Though I have had thoughts about um, a, a novella um, sequel to this. Just like a little, sometimes I write little Christmas one-offs. Like sometimes I just do a... Um, so as like a present to my readers, this, this, something from this book might be in the cards there. Um, but right now I'm working on a women's fiction novel that's contemporary historical split. Um, and it's like, I don't know, the pitch is like cults and cosmetics. Um, listen, apparently again, Satanism. (laughs) in terms of what you can get away with in romance right now satanism is a little hard um so i thought i'll go over to women's fiction and it's going to be a lot easier there no it's not 
<laughs> so listen, if this book ever comes out, God willing, um, just like when I say black magic, I want you all to understand that I hate Satanism. And when I say uh, a God rising to like lead the earth, I mean the Antichrist, and I do mean the Antichrist specifically. <laughs> but no, apparently, I guess editors are actually really squeamish about Satanism, which is so odd because we are Americans. And like, I know Americans love Satanism. <laughs> uh, so that's what I'm working on right now satanism and makeup um and then what i really think i'm gonna do after this is write the third book in the more trilogy um i must well i take a long time like i take about a year to write a book um so which if you ask me is not a long time no, that feels like a really long uh, amount of time but now. you know a lot of your like mega like i'm slower than a lot of people um romance so. writers in particular, oh, like, writers. Right. so many of them oh, are amazing. Yeah. Like, you know, they just, just turn out. Yeah. <laughs> we'll wait. Please don't burn yourself out. No. <laughs> it stresses me out when people, I talked to Martha Waters and she said the same thing. She's like, it takes me a year to write a book, which doesn't feel like that long, but apparently is very slow. And I'm just like, you know what? You do you. I would, I would love to think that maybe historical takes longer because we have to do the research for it. I look forward to your Balkan set historical. <laughs> you can really sell a lot of foreign rights in Central Europe. Right, which will hopefully make up for the people who go to the bookstore and say, uh, Serbia? <laughs> and then put it back down. <laughs> Just don't put it on the cover. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I actually know I've already pitched it. <laughs> it's, um, I think I said the southern fringe of the Habsburg Empire. <laughs> sounds sexy just accurate <laughs> all right do we have any audience questions for diana the question is what is the best and or worst overall thing about being a writer the worst thing is absolutely having to be your own structure um that took me years to learn and i i actually wish that we could talk about that more for like people who are starting as writers um because it is not, you know, I think sometimes people think, oh, I don't have the discipline. I'll never have the discipline. That's not true. Um, I am a very undisciplined person who has simply had to become disciplined over the years. And um, it means a lot to me that I'm able to, but it's really hard. Um, and it's really hard to every day repeat that. Um, but then that's also the being your own boss part is the best thing. Um you know, especially have quite sometimes a contrarian nature. Um, so uh, working for myself is really like an ideal situation. Um, getting to make art and feel like I'm an artist, that's um, for me something that is actually something that I could, I never would have thought that I could have been. Um, like something that is really like, uh, you know, like, I know that child me would be so happy um, just to know that I was a writer. So that means a lot. That's a great question. Thank you. What is your day in the life like as a writer? And do you have any morning rituals or structures that you create for yourself? Um, yeah, so I'm a v now a very routine driven person, which is not something I always was, but it's just how I had to become. Um, so every morning, and this is 
you know, some people, some writers have their artist's way morning journaling phase. No, <laughs> that's a 10 year long phase for me. <laughs> like I get up every morning and every morning, I think, except maybe three mornings. And one of those was a time zone confusion. Um, like I was on a plane and I don't actually know if I missed a morning or not because like the plane went through the morning, you know? Um, so like every morning except for three in the last 10 years I have journaled. Um, and it's three pages and the, the trick for me was to let it be absolutely mundane and boring. Oh my God, I slept so shitty. Yesterday was stupid. I had to go to the grocery store. I think I'm going to make cabbage soup for dinner. <laughs> like, just, you know, like I had to get all like the gunk out and just let it be boring and stupid and whatever. Um, and then quite quickly, I try to get to writing. Um, or if I'm researching to research the same chunk of time, I try to write for about three hours a day, um, between two and a half and three hours a day. Um, and then I do another hour or so of, um, the gross business stuff, um, like the unfun, awful. I don't know if any of you have to maintain your own websites. <laughs> like, listen, like a tiny task, right? Like moving a button somewhere. This can take me like a week to work up to. <laughs> like, I, you know, I'm like, oh God, I've got to, I've got to, I still haven't updated my website to say that the book is out. It says available May 28th. And I look, looked at it and I was like, that's good enough. People will understand available March 28th. Available March 28th means it's after March 28th. They'll know it means it's available now. Um, <laughs> so an hour apparently is spent justifying to myself why I don't need to edit my website today or reading other arcs um, or, you know, like kind of keeping up. Um, and then in the afternoon, and this is another like, this is a great part about my job. I get to do my workouts early, like, and that's important to me. Um, I try to go to my dance classes a lot. Um, and like, so that's really like regular. Like, I just live a very regular, you know, life, like working terrible business time, ballet class, <laughs> um, go to bed, repeat. <laughs> The question is, where did Eli come from? Oh, gosh, I know. He is the one I would probably date the most. So, yeah, I love Eli. He is probably my favorite hero I've ever written. Um, like, he's certainly the one I would be most likely to, like, want to date. I love a serious man. Like, for me, that's just, like, catnip, you know? Like, <laughs> someone who, like, an ethical man. Oh, man. <laughs> Um, and, um, so I, you know, I think, and I needed someone who was gonna, who needed my heroine, right? And she needed him. So I had to think about, I think Maria came first. Um, and then, um, I think I started when I started writing Eli's perspective, I, you know, I knew he was going to be like, maybe a spy, maybe something spy adjacent. I started read, writing his perspective and he was such a dramatic stick in the mud and i just loved that energy like like people are like oh eli's so great eli is a dramatic little bitch like he like he like he's swooning all the time like he's like oh my god oh my god <laughs> like, it's just too much for him all the time <laughs> and i love that <laughs> and i love that he's like you know um out there making his own decisions um and those kind of been like they existed in history like that you know 
like um you're some of your some of your like abolitionist men like some of them were really hot in that you know like i'm gonna live by my ethics kind of way um so <laughs> i wanted to bring that vibe in. yeah no that's a really underrated hotness characteristic i feel like we talk about you know like forearms but we don't talk enough about ethics <laughs> we don't we don't and i think we need to have that conversation yeah. <laughs> like he rolled up his forearms and then he did the right thing <laughs> then he thought through his his actions and made an ethical decision <laughs> about them. you know and i'm such a hypocrite too because like these women i write listen <laughs> I guess, like, some of them are ethical. Like, some some of them are heavily burdened with ethics, actually. Amelie, the heroine in The Brightest Star Pairs, is heavily burdened by doing the right thing. But, like, Maria? <laughs> I mean, like, she wants to do the right thing for her family. Um, but, like, beyond her family, like, there's some pretty major questions of doing the right thing in the empire that they're living in. And I feel like Maria's like, you know what? Those are big questions that are not for me. I need to keep my family alive. She has qualms about murder. Like fine that's enough some qualms about murder and then like <laughs> listen by the time maria is josephine's age <laughs> i don't know that she's gonna have qualms about murder anymore <laughs> no that's really good clearly josephine doesn't have any qualms about murder and we all love josephine so <laughs> i don't know it's a real double standard there in my books <laughs> i have no problems with that <laughs> The question is, were any of the characters based on real historical figures? Um, yes, Emily is. Um, Emily is based on some of the great female composers of the time, um, uh, like um, Clara Schumann. And I'm having the worst brain flip. Mendelssohn, Fanny Mendelssohn. Uh, there were, you know, there were these great female composers who were um, really well-known, like, concert pianists um, who would go on these vast European tours. Like, I think um, I think Schumann was once, like, the male Schumann is once recorded to have said, like, everyone knows me as Clara's husband um, because she was a child prodigy who was really famous from, like, touring Europe. And then he's just, like, this guy who goes along with her. And, of course, now, like, he's the famous one and she's the reclaimed one from history. But at the time, that's not how Europe understood them at all. Um, so Emily was just like a, an homage to those very cool, often Jewish women. Um, so I just kind of like took her on over. Anybody else? Mm. The question is, why did we make the ball theme <laughs> fairy wonderland? <laughs> um, I think actually that is a more serious question. Um, you know, the... I think that gets into Maria's relationship with her mother um, because Elizabeth has always lived her life in fairyland. Um, and, you know, this idea of Maria's having to work very hard to put this hotel back together so that they can create fairyland. And her mother just kind of thought that fairyland was a place to live in full time um, and that it didn't take any mundane work. So I wanted to have that contrast. Like Maria wants to give a gift of escape right? To the people who come. And I think to her mother too. Um, but Maria is never allowed to actually enter the fairyland. Um, like she is the one who's putting it on and she can't afford to get wrapped up in the spell. Um, so thanks for asking that question. Because um, I think that's that was kind of an important part of the theme for me. <laughs> 
All right. Before we go to signing, we always end by asking for you to recommend a book or two that you have read recently and loved. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I was really enjoying browsing. (laughs) Um, Unfortunately, there's only one copy of Mistakes Were Made (laughs) over on that table. Very popular. So uh, that was the best romance novel I read last year. Hands down. Not, I mean, well, I read a lot of really great romance novels, but Mistakes Were Made comes in with this fucking raunchy, funny, like scandalous book about fucking your roommate's mom. (laughs) Yeah. And honestly, it just felt like this huge breath of fresh air. And it's so well constructed. Like, it's so funny. Um, And being as, like, being razor funny is so hard. Um, So I just loved that book. Um, I also uh, loved Lucy Parker's Battle Royale over there. Um, Lucy Parker for me is just like a total comfort read. Like I, she just she's so charming. Um, makes me feel like um, happy, happy. Her books make me happy. What is this happy? <laughs> <laughs> really had to work for that. And, um, so that was another one. And then recently, I've. Um, I just finished rereading Anne of Green Gables before bed. Um, and that was such a lovely experience to go back to like a childhood book. I think I'm going to do Mary Poppins next, actually. I've um, not read Mary Poppins. Oh, everyone. This is important. <laughs> everyone should read Mary Poppins. <laughs> Well, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. This was such a joy. And you guys, like, I'm so glad that I got to talk to you guys. <laughs> and there you have it. A huge thank you to Diana Biller for visiting the shop and being such an overall delight. If this conversation has made you want to pick up a copy of Hotel of Secrets or any of Diana's other books, you can do that in our shop or on our website, meetcutebookshop.com. We've even got some copies freshly signed by the author. And if you've been enjoying this podcast, I would so appreciate it if you could take a moment to rate and review it on the podcast listening platform of your choosing. That helps other people find us, and I am really enjoying making this podcast and would like to keep doing it. That's all for this episode of the Meet Cute Book Pod. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm Becca, the owner of Meet Cute Romance Bookshop in San Diego, California, and I hope you'll tune back in for more deep dives into romance writing, reading, and publishing. (laughs) 